speak nice to everyone. No, he's just nice. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Look, the backpack show is back. <laughs> I guess that's something. Hello. Welcome. Weekly. We're going to do weekly. We've done daily. We've done all the things. Look at that. That's my biological mother, uh, Diane Brogan, and her husband, Steve. <laughs> Shut up. Dude. I had a dream last night that my dad <laughs> was so mad at me. So, dad, whatever it was, I'm really sorry. He was so mad. He I'm was sure not you've having many things that would make that. Not having any mobile. No. It was terrible. Um, we have a show for marketers today. I can't believe I'm saying that sentence. I'm very <sighs> excited about this. So normally we bring you success insights from unusual places. I would consider this somewhat less unusual. And the yet least unusual. I think people don't know the the depth and breadth of everything that our guests today know. So I'm really excited about that. So we're going to talk to one of my very favorite people, Andy Crestedina. He's the author of content chemistry. He's with Orbit Media. He's the chief marketing officer and co-founder, and he knows just more about SEO for content than anybody I know. We'll also talk with Raj Venkatasan, who's the co-author of the AI Marketing Canvas. So there's a framework in here for marketers who want to get started using AI, and it's really, really good. So we have a lot to dig into. There's going to be all kinds of things that you can do like right after the show that you couldn't do before. And I still wanted to tackle Raj's name, and then I realized I didn't have it in front of me, and I was just going to go with a V. I don't know, something V. Um, but I definitely want to tackle it because um, I, I feel like it's amazing why we don't uh, try to learn names. And I think uh, our AI friend is of the kind who says, nah, you don't have to know it, but I think we do. So He's brilliant. We're talking chemistry. We're talking AI. We're talking shenanigans. Remember, this show is for you to comment and chat with people. You've got a lot of people to chat with today. Welcome back to the Backpack Show. Hi, everyone. Tim Kitzer from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz, welcoming you to the Backpack Show. Your hosts, Chris Brogan, Kerry Gargone, Boom Shakalaka. Backpack Show. Boom Shakalaka. I love so it. Andy does some amazing things that actually, he, and he'll willingly tell you all about them, that like he ranks number one if you search for a content marketing speaker, like in the search engine rankings, number one on Google. And it's crazy. Like all the people we know, all the people who do this professionally, and there he is right at the very tippy top. And he'll tell you exactly how he did it. And I'll tell you right now, most people won't replicate it because it's like, it's a little bit of work, but it's not like a lot of work. So... Yeah. So listen, listen, we got to start there because uh, I want to know that answer. And I also want to, I want to point out something. Carol Aliff shifted around meetings to come to this thing. She doesn't show up wow. on, on the normal list of days, but she's like, oh, Andy Crestedita. And then she comes running. So see how this goes, Raj? You know, we're not good enough for it, but Andy brings the noise. Let's grab him. How you doing, boss? Oh, feeling the pressure. <laughs> you have so much to mm. earn up to today. You're, it's a big day. It is. This will be tough. Uh, <laughs> you you rank for content marketing speaker. I do. Um, a, he ranks tippy top. Uh, number one it, or no, one. It's, it's up there. It's, I don't think it's number one. Um, but, yeah, it is. It is of individuals. Like if you're talking about an, the Content Marketing Institute, maybe is ahead of you. Marketing speaker. Let me Google it. I rank above yeah. all of the speakers that I love and admire and, and have learned so much from people who are way better at speaking than me. It has nothing to do. It's, it's actually a, a minus point for search in general that, you know, someone like me could outrank 
Jay and Anne and okay, Joe. And, well, and you're being a little we... self-deprecating because you totally well, deserve the ranking, but you also worked to get it. And let's just say a little ahead of when everybody else knew how good you were. So, so how'd you do it? Uh, Tell everyone. Because it's well, pretty, they could totally do it. Okay, sure. Here's a here's a turbo version of SEO for any page. Uh, this one works if it's a page about you for some reason, like um, you know, and and you're getting mentioned someplace. You can do it for any page. So first of all, you have to have a page about the topic. That should be obvious. A big part of search is relevance. So you have to page. I mean, ultimately, this page is to talk about the topic. Content marketing speaker. It has to have you know, some words on the page so that Google knows what the page is about. Let's just assume that you have a good page on that top, on whatever topic you're talking about. But then what I did was uh, I had a little brand alert that let me know if someone mentioned me somewhere. And then I looked at that mention and I saw what was it linking to anything? Uh, if it wasn't over a series of messages and emails and, and friendship, ask the person politely to link to the, to the speaker's bio page. If it was linking to a social media profile, same thing. You know, a couple of messages, make some friends, reach out, say hello, and ask if they wouldn't mind linking that instead of to my Twitter. That's not high value to me. Instead, link to the speaker's bio page. So this was like three years. It's a long game. Search is slow. Most people don't have patience for it. Uh, but that was. But gradually over time, that page had the two key ingredients for rankings, which was relevance and authority, as in it's a page about the topic and it had been referenced by other websites. So two things I think are really important about that. The first is you didn't like immediately email people who mentioned you and say, hey, can you link to my speaker no. page? Not no. how you did it. No. You emailed them first to thank them. Yes. It's a maybe a, a week long process or more. First and saying, yeah. you don't mm -hmm. do it like all the time because some people might think that I, sounds like a lot of work. You must do it all the time. But you like just do it on Monday mornings or something. Every Monday I get it. I get a an email like Talkwalker alerts. Uh, Google alerts I don't think works much anymore. So you just set up Talkwalker is free. Anyway, anyone can do this for the brand, their company, for their personal name. Just watch those. It's there's a name for it. SEOs are nerdy people and try to brand everything. This is called link reclamation. Now it's boring. <laughs> just sounds terrible. <laughs> that's exactly what it. So if that, you're sociable like somebody over here who's really nice, then you know you could easily do this. Yeah, yeah. Anyone could. Well, so I wanted to. I wanted to start there. One of the themes of the the episode today, basically, is that you know it's just not the marketing isn't what it was. Mm -hmm. Marketing isn't you know coming up with the best phrase. It isn't you know some good color choices and branding matching and all that sort of a thing. It's things like taking the time. It's things like SEO that so many people still don't pay any attention to mm -hmm. whatsoever. The reason to grab Raj is to talk about AI. When we think AI, we're like, ah, but like autocorrect is AI. Speech to text is AI. It's not super rockets all the time. It's, it's crazy stuff. Andy, what's changed in SEO as it applies for marketers and content people? And like, what's the first place you start shaking down uh, lowly marketer peasants who haven't really come over to realize that SEO is important. Well, it's common for someone to say, Hey, how come I don't rank for this phrase? And after a minute and a half of conversation, you realize like they don't even have a page about the topic. So step one, Google does not rank websites. Uh, Google ranks pages. So you need to have a URL on any topic that you hope to rank for. Step two, that page needs to be deep and thorough and detailed and exhaustive. Think like Wikipedia. SEO is very competitive, right? 10 years or something have passed since I first met uh, both you guys. Back then, 
there weren't as many long form, you know, complete answers, detailed content on each topic. So, and then third, it's about relationships. It's about collaboration. It's about partnering with people, making stuff together. And those lead to um, authority by leading to mentions and links and shares. And so it's, it's not, uh, it just got a little more competitive and there's it seemed, but the number of people who are really willing to spend 10 hours on a super exhaustive article or web page um, hasn't really increased. So in a way, there's um, there's sort of it doesn't feel like there's more of us who are going deep, but um, there's definitely more content out there. Carol points out that you are kind and generous, and who wouldn't want to give you the link if asked? Oh, That's Carol, true. I am a Carol fan. Exaltus for animated for explainer videos. She is wonderful. Uh, check out her work. They are brilliant. And Joseph Jaffe asks about, I think he's asking about Talkwalker, the Google Alerts replacement. Mm -hmm. Talkwalker Alerts. Here we go. Yeah, Carol is already on it. Thank you. Hi, Janice. Marketing is a weird place because um, there's there's a few different echelons in marketing. There's this sort of like excitable people. And then there's like the SEOs, like you've already pointed out, SEOs are super nerds, like Dave Davey. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, the, you know, you and him at a party, I could just hear the sound coming out of you, like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, <laughs> and like Chris Penn. But those clicks aside, I think it's really shifted. I think it's really shifted that we need a lot more understanding of the technology. What else should people be picking up? What else should go into their like little toolbox of tech to do this kind of work? Well, if you, if you just step back and think, what is SEO? What is search? It is an information retrieval technology. That's it. You mentioned AI. So don't just for, don't just focus on key phrases. Think about what that person is trying to find. Go past the key phrase. Don't target key phrases. Target topics. So I think a, a lot of people just need to keep in mind that this is really about the intent of the visitor. Have you solved for X? We're not just trying to like you know, be relevant for two or three words put together. We're trying to make something that is thorough on the broader topic. It answers all the related questions. It covers all the related subtopics. So when you step back and you think about keywords as in fact just being intent, then you can start, then you will more likely create something that is super helpful because you're not just narrowly focused on this little combination of, of letters. You're thinking about, uh, you know, the satisfying their information needs. That's what the SEO does. Meet expectations, satisfy this person's information needs. Look at any page that you hope to rank and just ask yourself, is this awesome? If not, get back to work. So when you say awesome for a page though, you're talking about the best page possible on the internet for that thing. Not like, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people think that ranking is somehow aggregate, like across everything. Like mm. if you have all the answers there sort of sprinkled throughout your site, then magic happens. That's not how it is. You'll make like one page that mm. has original research and quotes from people and, you know, custom like new images, original artwork and stuff like everything is in there. Yeah. Here's a, I'm just going to just top of mind checklist for things that are likely on a great page. It, the, the, um, the information is supported with research. The content is easily scannable. It doesn't have long, dense paragraphs. It's broken up. It has lots of formatting, subheaders, bullet lists, bolding, internal linking between articles. A great page is linked to from other articles. It has contributor quotes. It has meaningful images, not stock images. There's something of visual interest at every scroll depth. 
So it's not boring at any point, right? You're actually, the writing should be charming and approachable. You guys are right here, so I'm, I won't, I don't even need to go into that. Pro, I mean, there's some of the best content pros in, on the, online or on this call. So, but yeah, it needs to be, uh, and then depth, I don't know, length. There's no word length, there's no word count, but the thing should be extremely detailed if you hope to rank for a key phrase. Engagement versus firehouse of internaval focused content, says Bob Collins. <laughs> That's exactly where I was going to go. I was going to say one of the concepts I love most from Andy is the concept of content mission statements because there's this mm -hmm. thing that happens a lot, and, and Robert just poked right at it. There's a thing that happens that goes, I must make content, which is like mm. saying, I must go pee in a wall. You know, it, it's so not the same thing. Can you talk just a bit about the content mission statement and how important that is to the process? Yeah, we should credit, I think Joe, Joe Polizzi was the one who's, who really started banging this drum very early. And um, I tried to give, just nod to him whenever I mention it, but it is a simple, short statement that declares why you are publishing, who your audience is, what topics you cover, and why they should care, visit, come back, share, read, subscribe. So, uh, so you could say it this way. Our content is where, and our content, that's actually not necessarily obvious, that's everything you publish every article, every video, every social post, every email, is where audience X gets information Y for benefit Z. Content programs that fail often just miss this. It's like kind of, you know, the, your, your, your compass, your true north, because now you know, and I've done this with people, I do it with friends at bars, I've done it, I, you compare this with wine, it's just a fun thing to, to, to like, if you like content strategy, you will enjoy this process. It, you'll be sad when it's done. It only takes you maybe an hour so example, this client does, they expedite passports. We write a tiny mission statement. There were international travelers, get tips for, for making flight easier to have a better trip. Wow, why are we publishing all this domestic travel advice? They cut that out. That mission statement, that one 45 minute exercise saved them four hours a month forever after. Carol says every single Andy Crestedino mm. blog post is like a mini course on the topic, value guaranteed. Thank you, Carol. I love that you're here. <laughs> Andy, one of the things before Chris asks his question, there's like a fairly simple thing that you recommend people do when they want to pick up some SEO value. And it's like, go see which of your pages are ranking on like the second page mm. and, and go make them the way that you're talking about, make them the best page on the internet for the thing. Like go and see what you can do to improve them. And those are, I mean, I don't even want to say the low hanging fruit, but like, you can do, everybody's got some content yeah. that's like almost there, mm -hmm. not quite there. So how do you know like which posts are kind of the most worthy, the best ones? Where do you start? Well, the free way to see that is in Google Search Console, which is probably connected to your analytics. Just try to create a tiny filter that says, um, you know, include the, uh, the search queries for which the average position is greater than 10. That's all it is. And then Search Console will show you a list of all the phrases for which you rank high on page two. So much easier than doing fresh keyword research. Google's telling you the thing, the striking distance key phrases. These are things that you are almost ranking high for already. And every site has hundreds of them that, and the website owners never know because almost no one ever writes this, runs this report. And it basically is just gonna show you. It's a prescriptive thing. Now just go make it a better article on that topic. Go make it a better page. Go include those key phrases. Go, go deeper into those subtopics. Three days later, you're going to be ranking on page one. I'm 
I'll buy you a beer if you don't. It's that I'm that confident. It's like the most reliable win in SEO. At the risk of knocking everyone unconscious by getting even further in right before we <laughs> backstage for a second, um, passage rank has shown up. So first off, you know, there was page rank and we must have the best page possible mm. on a topic that we need. And now it's like, nah, you can just have a pretty good paragraph in there. Um, are you training people to passage rank yet? Or, or what's your thought on that? And should we just not even talk about it? No, I have mixed feelings. But if there's a tip for that, it's also the same tip for like semantic SEO, which is basically to when you write, make sure to include some sentences that are sort of like the complete answer in one complete sentence. Look for grammatical forms that are a single complete answer. Again, it's information retrieval technology. You can help it, right? It's like, you know, there's software on top of the software is a database, on top of the database is a file. The file is your web page, the software is Google. Make your page work with this software by writing content that has the complete answer. The shortest, fastest route toward SEO is to uh, target striking distance key phrases for which just like write write the plain English version of the thing somewhere in the article, quite helpful. Go ahead, wow. Carrie. Everybody, well, everybody has questions. So super, super quick. Chloe wants to know, is there a difference between a blog post and pages? Like when you're talking about this. They target different key phrases. Blog posts target information intent phrases. Web pages target transaction intent phrases. So they are different in the um, in the structure of the content, in the intent, in the goal of the page, in the type of conversion, in the, the needs of the visitor. Does Google see them differently? Not that I know of. It's a great question. I don't think so. I think that Google just looks at the page, looks at the topic, looks at the intent, and tries to find a great page. There's no inherent difference in how Google analyzes the, the relevance of these pages that I know of. Which goes back to the, the whole section in your book about chemistry. Uh, sorry, a conversion. Mm -hmm. The book is chemistry. Conversion. There's just a massive amount of it, which conversion is different. You know, on a blog right, post, yeah. on a blog post, I might just want you to be a sub. And on, uh, you know, a sales conversion, obviously, I want you to right. click that buy button or whatever. So you're totally right. You know, I was just thinking that Andy Crestadina has just provided the best possible answer on why passage rank is important, <laughs> and you should understand more in his content chemistry book. There you go. That was my sentence. Well done. Thank you for that. And uh, right yeah, that's the idea. Soon as uh, Google listener uh, gets more powerful, we'll see how it goes. They can pick up audio better. Um, we have to stick you backstage for a minute. We got to do some ads and things like that. But stick around if you can. Uh, we'll uh, come back and grab you again. But uh, thank you so much for making our brains bigger. Sip with. Don't anyone go pee. Uh, we're just reading the ads as fast what as we can. What a thing to say. Shush. I just can't have them. Don't pee. Until now. Thank you, Janice. I like my groovy glasses. I watched a documentary with Slash today. I kind of had to do this. Hey, we talked a lot about Google, but you know another search engine? I'll tell you another search engine, PreSearch. You can go to PreSearch.com and check out Content Marketing Keynote Speaker. And there he is, Andy Christadina. So he even ranks super high on PreSearch.com. You Stick can even take him. crypto and stake that phrase. Yeah. You don't even have to pay it like away. You just have to hold the crypto. Yeah. It's not AdSense, but you could stake keyword terms there that are so much better uh, for you. Um, hey, want a .online domain? You can have one. Just go to cbroken.me slash online. Hey, use the code CHRIS at all caps, and you can have your own domain for a whole buckaroo. It's going to bother me forever that the code is all caps. Like, can they just make it work, whatever, capitalization? But this is a Unix system. Okay.
okay, okay. Um, Bye then. Okay. Hey, would you like an audio podcast? <laughs> <laughs> We've got one. Uh, you just go to castos.com and it's pretty good. Like they host they host your audio file and syndicate it to all the places where great yeah. podcasts are searched for and consumed. Our buddy Matt Medeiros works there, so we gave him a spin, and we've been very, very satisfied with the experience. I feel like I'm going to miss one. <gasps> oh, we're sponsored by StreamYard. Oh. <laughs> all you got to do is if you want to make a video show like this, you just got to go find people that like chemistry and robots, uh, you know, a couple loose professors laying around, and you can make a show just like this. It's easy. Easy peasy. Lemon squeezy. And I can't remember, so I'm just going to throw it in. Hey, Mitch Jackson. Mitch is our uh, lawyer friend from California. Number one top attorney in California, streaming.lawyer. Get you some Mitch Jackson. Um, he's so super, super special. Uh, Mitch Jackson, get some. So Carol agreed with me about something. I don't know what, but something. I love to be right. So. I am also with you, Carrie. <laughs> um, so if I were, we, we do this thing when we're actually paying attention to the guests and I did not do it very well. I, we didn't ask Raj to pronounce his name for us. In my head, I'm saying uh, Venkatesan or Venkatesan. No, Venkatesan. Say it again, Venkatesan. Why don't you ask him to say it? Well, let's we'll get it. Settle the question. Professor Raj, will you set us straight? How do we say your last name, please? Chris, you got it right the first time. Venkatesan. 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 Yeah. I win. You I win. Um I have another Raj friend, Venu Gopal right. is his last name. And so I was like, it's got to be like that. Venu Gopal, Venkatesa. So there we go. Perfect. Professor, uh, as it turns out, you know, at least now in, in D.C. for the next little while. Yes, I'm teaching uh, in our uh, executive MBA program here. So that's uh, I have Friday, Saturday, Sunday teaching with the students. It's it's actually a great weekend because I get to meet the students, hang out with them. And uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I love this weekends when I get to class and it's a it's great energy to be with them and uh, learn from them as well. So it's looking forward to it. I feel that most people underestimate and, and misunderstand AI, artificial intelligence. I feel like they really overblow it. They're expecting Skynet, and at any minute, a T-800 will come. Um, you have a marketing canvas that features artificial intelligence. Can you sort of level set us a little bit and get us a sense of what kind of AI we're talking about and how it applies to the marketing? So in the most simple terms, what we're really talking about in the book is using data and information to make decisions and to, uh, to really use data to understand customers. And that's about it. I think uh, as you grow through this maturity, as you do more things, you will be able to see, uh, you know, you'll do more and more sophisticated things. But at the very beginning, like we just talked with Andy, it is about like what he talked about, like the keywords, right? Like, you know, look at those keywords in which you're almost there and then do something so or, or make your page more relevant. So you come up on those uh, keywords. So it's it can be begin. You can begin with that. Right. It's not yes AI or like the machine is not understanding, but you're beginning with some data and trying to make a data-driven decision. That's where our premise is. And as you get better at it, as you get more information, then uh, you can start predicting what is coming up next. Right? So that is where like the real machines and AI start to come within marketing. 
is like think of marketing as predicting what customers would do next and or what their needs are and how can you customize your website or your products or how you can customize yourself to the customer's needs. So without giving away the store, can you tell us about the roadmap? So the roadmap is uh, what we saw was when we talked to different brands, we see that pretty much everybody is like what Chris started off saying, this is this is a big topic. This is so many. We hear a lot about it. Where do we begin? And what do we do next? And I think that's what the framework is basically is today, tomorrow, and long. Like you start with the foundation. You start with the data that is more customer focused and collect the information and then start doing experiments. Let a thousand flowers bloom. And then once you learn from it, grow a little more, build a little more capabilities, bring in some champions in your organization to cover more, which we call expansion. And then transformation is really investing in this, either building your own data science capability or buying an AI company. And the fifth is my, I mean, I think my favorite step is monetization is where you're taking all this capability and creating a new AI as a service platform which I have not seen before, like we've had transformations in marketing. I think this one, what was really interesting for us is that companies are like Washington Post, Coca-Cola, Starbucks are really starting to look at the capabilities that they have developed and they're using that as a platform to allow other brands to use the service and improve themselves. Um, oh. so my first I thought question. you were muted. You were like, no, okay. no, no, no. My first question is, if robots and, and AI are so smart, why did they say, why did they let you do this show? Like, I feel like they should have steered you towards not doing this show. It was us. a human decision. You think they're going to, like, seek you out every time you make a decision and, like, affirmatively tell you stuff? I think you have to ask it, right? You probably didn't have enough data. Is that possibly <laughs> it? Yeah. I'm very <laughs> persuasive. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, uh, I think, uh, Chris... The broader topic of what you're, I think, uh, covering here is really important is, is AI going to do everything? Are we at the general purpose machine? Is it like all knowing or are we really talking about something which is more playing within a sandbox? I think in our book, we're basically looking at things that are playing within a sandbox. AI to us is anything if a human does, we would consider intelligent if the machine does, that's AI. And so that's pretty much what we're talking about. And we're looking at things that are more within a specific, like image recognition or, uh, you know, chat bots. That's what we're talking about here. Uber now, Eats probably has some really rich data about like, you know, if you could put the Uber Eats data and like put it over top of like my calendar data, you would see that I make really bad choices on days that are meeting heavy in the morning. Like, there's tons of insight to be gleaned from like partnerships. So do you think eventually businesses will do that? They come together and these little like joint venture things. That's a, well, that's yeah. Well, it's a, it's an interesting uh, uh, question because I think where when we talk about AI and all this information, we also get into the question of like how far reaching and maybe creepy we get. Right. And I think this is going like to me uh, when some of this, when we start merging 
different places, right? And we start looking at combining a person's different, like, you know, personas, right? We have an Uber Eats persona and then we have a meeting persona. And like when those things, uh, worlds merge, I mean, that's where we, I feel like the, the privacy concerns start to come up. And so what we primarily talk about is looking at first party customer data only. So you're looking at just like, and we are big proponents of direct-to-consumer relationships, the DTC subscription, uh, so that you get the consent and what you're basically collecting data is directly from your consumers. And uh, there's a lot of possibility with data sharing. You've got to be very careful there. So I need to know a little bit more about you because the early you went off and got an engineering degree then you hung out in Houston and picked up your PhD in business. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you wrote a book about, you know, how robots are going to take over the world. And now you're a professor, but you didn't, you didn't go out and launch a big old weird startup. And you didn't say yes to Elon Musk to protect him from the robot overlords. Who did you think you were going to be when you grew up and, and, and what's guiding your career right now? So uh, <laughs> uh, who did I think what I was going to be when I grow up? Uh, certainly not a professor. Uh, and I thought I would go the standard route of, you know, do some engineering, do some fun coding. And I didn't think more beyond that, honestly. I really didn't think beyond that. And I thought I would start a business. And I think there was some entrepreneurial streak in me always. And uh, then life happened and I started doing the PhD. And that was really about like, you know, it was a, at that time I was doing stuff in like my thesis were in, under, in computer engineering was doing stuff on AI, like what we call AI now, neural nets and genetic algorithms to be. And then the, my PhD advisor was prescient at that time. And he said, listen, this is going to get, marketing is going to transform. I'm seeing things happening. Would you want to do something like this? I said, of course and let's uh, give it a go and that's kind of how i started and i have basically led my life in a i mean i have longer term ambitions but i go day by day and look at things like as they come and see opportunities as they come and live in the today and i think then that's kind of i guess why when you look at it it seems a little bit meandering the way i'm done my <laughs> work but it's all about what i like and what i want to do and it's been great uh, enjoy the ride so what does this look like in a, in different industries there'll be businesses that tell you oh gosh you know we're b2b this is a whole different yeah. thing and is it really like that whole different thing or can they use it too it's a uh, 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 we get that a lot and i think uh, there was a report published by Salesforce uh, that came out on spending uh, differences between B2B companies and B2C companies. And it's a very interesting chart where you actually see the difference is that B2B does more like account management, but the amount they're spending on the different functions like content marketing, uh, websites, um, maybe not a little bit less in social perhaps but the distribution is about the same and the thing about so in a way b2b is doing a lot of what b2c and more and i think with b2b the biggest uh, thing is i think the benefit is direct to consumer relationships 
you are directly working with your customers and it is it's messy it's customized but your sales people are your biggest asset in giving you the data about the deep insights with the customers Carrie went to Carrie went somewhere and I, I want to circle back because I, I've been thinking about it ever since she just said it like she said you know if, if Google Calendar cleared the data with Uber Eats and back and forth like if, if there was an allowance of some kind of relationship, but that's not how data works right now. Data is all in silos and, and the least used person in that data experience is the user. Do you feel we're going to get there? Do you feel like user data rights will become better understood or do you think it'll forever be silos and so it'll be people trying to fight away what little bites of data they can steal for their AI models? I think the silo thing is not easy to overcome. I think, uh, which is where when we get asked questions about, hey, how about a startup? Can they actually benefit? My answer is always yes, because they don't have silos. They are uh, have like, uh, they don't have legacy systems. They've not acquired companies and now they're connecting the databases to get something out of it. So a lot of companies that we've uh, worked with, the biggest challenges, like you say, Chris, connecting across silos. And it's not just like political. It is also if you're acquiring a company, they have a different database system. You have one database system. And then how do you connect the customers? Like strategically, it makes sense that you can connect like different groups uh, and you can provide a better service like banking and investment services. But if you grew into investment services with an acquisition, then how do you connect those two? Right. And then that is where it becomes like real like it's a hand uh, roll up your sleeves like uh, work that is going on and a lot of work 80 percent of the work and that's the foundation layer that we're talking about is where the, a lot of this work is look he's here <laughs> you brought andy back with that warning of birth <laughs> andy um did you bring me some coffee <laughs> i've got it right here for you yay i'll All be right, right there it might be cold by the time you get to Chicago, but uh, so look, one reason I brought Andy back right now is I think that it's hard enough to convince people that they need to pay more attention to technology like search terms. Andy, this man tells people to let robots sift through their data. What do you think? I mean, how do you convince people that AI is the way to go? Professor Venkatesan's got a huge upsell to me to make that happen. Like the lift on that's heavy. Yeah, I think persuasion is about the audience. Uh, if it's an executive, they get FOMO pretty easily. If you show them that their competitors are doing it, they might freak out and give you some budget. Uh, there's other people who are just obsessed with novel new ideas and showing them how the way that they're doing something is not going to be the way it will be done in the future might persuade them. Uh, you can use uh, influencers, data. I mean, different people are affected by different things. So that's like a, that's like a sales question. Uh, I think that as we get to the tipping point, you know, if, if you want to just describe this to anybody, it's like, this is happening. No one's surprised. This is, the, this is reality. Do you want to be a leader or a laggard? You choose up to you. And then they kind of like realize like, oh yeah, this is sort of like, there's inevitability here. I got to decide where I'm going to be on this curve. Yeah. And I think, uh, Andy, that's well said. And what we've, uh, you know, I think we all talked about digital that way. I'm not saying you need another pandemic, but I'm saying like there was a crisis and that really got people to move on, like consumers and businesses to get into digital. 
And I think that uh, what you talked about FOMO or like missing out competition, mm -hmm. and if you broadly speaking, crisis ends up being a real motivator to invest. And that's where like uh, we, when we in the book, we talk about how uh, when you first um, with the big platforms growing and really getting into different businesses, I think that is a real threat, which we say is like, if you don't face that, then it's going to really, you might go out of business. And there are enough examples to show about that. And then it gets crazier still because I bought a subscription to Lately, Lately.ai. And the whole concept there is that if, if you train Lately.ai by what you type, how you type, you know, your stories, your articles, your blog posts, your tweets, it, it sucks into the fan as much as it can. It guesses. What? Oh, and you need the demo. Wait Andy. a minute. You need the demo. So lately.ai, Kate Bradley Chernis was on the show, and I basically grilled her and yelled at her for a whole long time. And then I went and got a demo, and I was like, oh, never mind. And I paid for it. Oh, and no. it, am I going to think like I wish I'd had this turned on two years ago? Because Super not cheap, know. but oh. worth it. Like it's affordable. It's like within like a few hundred bucks a month kind of a thing, which okay. to some marketers, that's like, oh, no. But it was so worth it. Because what it does is it basically it, it, it does what uh, Professor V said. It, it's it's a data set. You start collecting the, the, the words of Andy and then it does its best Andy impression and it's good. Wow. Um, and more so, it is search optimized and good. So it says back to you, Andy, you know, you said things, but if you had said AI tools that I could actually use, you would have made even more money. Right. And then so it works like that. So I feel like this future is coming, but it's like what William Gibson said so many years ago. The future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Yeah. Yes. I think about that a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who said that? I heard that quote again recently. Uh, originally, William Gibson, mm -hmm. uh, a, a million years ago, uh, Daniel Steinberg stole it for one of his O'Reilly podcasts. And so I heard mm -hmm. it every episode, every week of his podcast. But. Mm -hmm. Um, it's William Gibson who wrote the book Neuromancer, which talked a lot about oh, cyberspace wow, yeah. before there was cyberspace. He wrote that on a, a very old uh, typewriter, a manual typewriter, tech, tech, tech. Wow. It's one of my favorites, and it gets so much right. There's only there's only one scene in the whole book that I'm like, well, that wouldn't happen, but that's it. And that just involves like a bank of payphones. <laughs> right, right. Because the one thing the that William one. Gibson said he never would have ever guessed was mobile phones, uh, the oh. ubiquity. Oh, wow. He's, you said, I never guessed. Anyway, for, for another thought, another time. Uh, but we have come to that part of the show where we've got to ask you a very, very important. <laughs> um, I got a minute. What am I going to do here? I'm sharing my survey again, Chris. Oh, Every God. year, it's a slog to get 1,000 people to answer 15 questions about blogging. Mm -hmm. This is my life. Uh, so oh my Everyone needs so, to do this. <laughs> That's the tone I have to. Everyone needs to do this. <laughs> Super helpful. makes a huge difference for us. It's a piece you know of research what, we do every year. Andy never asks people for anything. I don't. So it feels this, weird. And this is actually ultimately for you because all the data will be made available. Like yeah. You get the, the findings. Mm -hmm. so. I want it. I was just talking about we need to get back to the old days of blogging. And, uh, and Raj is going to get back to tweeting. 
I'm going to get back to tweeting. <laughs> I just want to tweet. I know. Oh my <laughs> God! I need to tweet. I've I've been on LinkedIn so much. I didn't even give, give out your 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 Twitter handle I because I was like, I don't want anybody to. I no, did. thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh my God! All right. <laughs> so we're oh, now at the tweet. part of sprockets <laughs> where you have to dance. So we've asked. Oh, you know what? I forgot. I got to do one other thing first. I, oh my gosh! I'm so out of ready. Hang on. Oh, and here's our person of the day. Kaboom! I don't even know. You know who I'm going to give it to? I'm going to give it to Mr. Collins. Oh, yay. So he's back after two months. We'll Bob give it Collins. Bob Collins. Who has a show in him that I'm still waiting for him to turn on. But all right. Here's the backpack question. We've asked this to every guest who's ever been in here. Sir Mix-a-Lot, uh, Ariel Helvetica, uh, Nicole Porsche, Nikki Porsche, the buy from a black woman. Uh, we've asked the question, what goes in your backpack? So it could be something physical. It could be something metaphorical. So, Carrie, what's an example of something physical you could throw in a backpack? Extra set of teeth. An extra set of teeth. Hmm. DJ Cummerbund said that the only thing we can guess is he also likes pro wrestling. And so we think that maybe, <laughs> oh, you know, who knows? Uh, what's something metaphorical one could add to it? Oh, kindness. Mm, kindness is a good one. I'm going to go in reverse order. I'm going to do uh, Raj Venkatesan. I'm going to ask you what should go in the backpack, either physical or metaphorical. So I don't know if this qualifies for me. What I find uh, useful is always I'm, I'm, I like podcasts, uh, including this. And uh, I'm, I find it like useful in terms of I don't listen to like mainly marketing podcasts, but I'm listening to like, you know, uh, a lot of podcasts on AI and humanity, but also growth and self-development and yeah, humility and how do you actually uh, live your life, right? And any help there. So to me, that is, uh, it's a back, it's in the backpack because it is something that, you know, when I, as I'm doing things, it's, I'm hearing it and it's helping me grow. And that's kind of my uh, thing that I think is really valuable in my backpack to me. I'll take it. I think that's a really good one. Uh, Andy Crestadina, what goes in the backpack, good sir? Uh, I've got a three-year-old and a five-year-old. No, no, Carrie, you and Chris have both been there. I need patience. I need lots and lots of patience in my backpack. Uh, patience also for the professional stuff, which we kind of mentioned. A lot of this, a lot of things take a lot of time. Reminds me of uh, Chris. I heard you on a copy blogger podcast like a hundred years ago, and you talked about how much you did before you got any visibility, like that was an incredible act of faith. Like your story then stuck with me for a long time. The other thing that I need though is, is uh, some kind of scorecard or tracking tool so that I stay motivated while I'm being patient. I need to know, like, it's very helpful for me to see like, you know, fitness or content or whatever I'm working on to track it so that I, I can visibly see that I am making progress even if that there's no result yet. That helps me a lot. <laughs> I'm going to choke for a minute. Um, I just wrote a phrase. I was writing sort of a phrase of the, what things do we need? And I always think of it as that scene in the very early 80s movie Conan, the barbarian, yeah. where they say, Conan, what is good in life? And like all these other people have been asked the question, they get it all wrong. And he's like, to crush the enemy, see them before <laughs> you, and to hear the lamentation of the women. Um, that was my Schwarzenegger. Um, and I wrote one of the first things I wrote today on mine was a story to feed and measure. 
Mm. Um, so I've been great at feeding stories like, oh, I'm into this thing and I'm going to go learn about the thing and I'm going to read about the thing and this is all I'm going to do. And then measure just showed up today. I was like, oh, right. So when you said that, I was, I'm, I'm feeling your vibe is what I'm saying. Yeah. Just, just to know that, just to track it, just to check a box, you know, that I did that today. Um, spreadsheet, an app. I have a piece of graph paper on a wall next to a little chin-up bar. So if I do these, I mark, I like shade in these little squares. My wife thinks I'm an idiot, but uh, <laughs> fitness just takes forever. Apparently it's not very slow for me, at least. You lose helps. a lot of ground in the process too. That's what yeah. I learned. Well, about the chin-up bar, it made me think of um, a, my grandmother really loved potato chips more than anything. It was like her favorite food and she was uh, raised Catholic. And so there's a season of Lent where you have to give up something. Mm. And she would always give up potato chips for Lent, which seemed like the worst idea in the world to me. I thought it was a terrible thing. And she would always threaten to do some exercise. And the only thing I ever saw her come close to like, actually being an exercise I didn't, 